Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the foundations of well-being for managers. Noelle, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. We are podcasting a little bit later today. And for Noelle, she's uh, three hours after me. So for her, it's like midday, correct? I know. I'm missing my usual coffee that I have when we do this, but I would be up all night if I had a coffee at 4 p.m. Yeah. This means there's a small chance that she may crash while we're ah, talking. I may. This is, this is the day that my brain short circuits and we'll have it recorded for posterity. Well, speaking of crashing, um, our topic, yeah. foundations for well-being, especially for managers. Yeah, yeah. So let, let me just pull the lens way out and explain what we're going to be talking about and why and how it relates to coaching and management. So really broadly, something that we hear from folks who are managers is I got promoted to being a manager because I'm really good at my job. And I was promised the world by my employer when they said, we're going to develop you, we're going to invest in you. And mm -hmm. before I knew it, I was um, in charge of 15 people and things are not going well. Uh, I don't know what to do. And oftentimes that comes from the fact that when folks advance into the position of management, being good at your job isn't enough. You actually have to have psychosocial skills mm. and you really specifically need to be able to support engage and inspire people in order to be able to lead them yeah that's really important can you uh for people who are unclear tell us what you mean by psychosocial yeah so psychosocial is a combination of your brain and how you function socially Right. And it really specifically relates to um, your familiarity with the way that people work and, and how you need to show up, adapt, and are perceived in social situations um, from a psychological perspective. Because you, you have impact on people when you show up um, in, in any situation, but especially one between a manager and an employee in which there's a power dynamic. Right. Differential, that's where the psychosocial comes in because there's this extra layer. You're not just peers working next to each other. There's a psychosocial component that governs whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who don't have this uh, end up leading just by barking orders, what needs oh. to get done. Yeah. And um, it's hard to follow a leader like that because, you know, you don't see them as human. You just see them as, um, you know, someone pointing fingers and almost robotic. Absolutely. And for a really long time, what you just described is called um, command and control leadership. Mm -hmm. And for the last, I don't know, 
150 years, that's been the way that societies worked. It stems from white supremacy. It stems from capitalism. It stems from patriarchal thinking where the man is the head of the household. Do as I say, don't ask questions. Women are prettier when they shut the fuck up, you know? So it's like, you know, all of those things go into this idea that when you're in charge of someone as a manager, which you're not actually in charge, let's be real, um, you have to control them and command them. And, and, you know, there's something about not being able to, um, which I think a lot of leaders, managers uh, internalize as then they're not a good leader. And so it's almost like if they can't get someone to do what they want, then they feel less than. And because that is valuable to them, they really try to control people. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, now we're getting into like Machiavelli, right? Like, is it better to be loved or feared as as a leader? Right. Um, and in in today's day and age with hybrid and distributed workforces and such steep competition for talent and um, younger generations who just don't put up with shit anymore, um, it is better to be loved. Yeah. We know that empirically. Yeah. Can I share a quick story, which is yes. uh, ex- exactly on, on this topic. So um, I got up in the morning and I was on New York Times. So I was up way early. Uh, my assistant is in LA and there was a, a, a mess up with the podcast uh, and my podcast is three times a week. So I was scrambling to fix it. I uh, texted her and she says, yes, I'll get to it. But my work starts at 8, at 8 a.m. And it's interesting because there was a part of me that was like, of course, you know, that, you know, she's drawing boundaries and she's uh, creating a safe space for her. And that's totally fair. Her work starts at 8 a.m. And then there was another part of me that was, uh, that liked, that lacked this, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, psychosocial or the human approach and, and was like angry and wanted things. Like there's a part of me that was being impatient and, 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 you know, I don't care when your day starts, you need to do this now. Right. And so it's, it's, it was interesting for me, um, to uh, kind of go through that experience and notice the different parts of me as a leader or as a quote-unquote boss. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that is so little talked about in the managerial and leadership space, what it feels like on the inside for you as you grapple with social interactions day in and day out and, and where your responsibility truly lies, Mm -hmm. which is what we're going to unpack today. And before we do, I want to give a primer on on what we're unpacking. So um, we're going to look at positive psychology, and we're going to look at uh, parts of positive psychology that have been really empirically proven. So like the data, the research is solid. If you want a deeper dive on this stuff, there's a great book called Creating the World That We Want to Live In, How Positive Psychology Can Build a Brighter Future. And it covers everything from um, relationships to work to community to environment. And it's really good. But Mm -hmm. all that said, we're we're dealing with science here. Um, And a lot of times when when we're thinking about soft skills, um, dealing with the way that we feel, dealing with the way that we communicate, dealing with the way that we lead. Um, Folks don't typically associate it with empirically based standards, Mm. which is what we're going to get into. Um, And the other piece of this 
is that we're going to roll through several principles and there's actually a pretty serious consequence. When we ignore these principles, it's not like, oh, we're neutral. We're actively harmful to ourselves and others. Right. So the first one is um, pretty straightforward and yet very difficult. And that's the idea that when you are a manager and you're looking out at, at your staff, your team, the people around you, and your staff, your team are looking around them, um, everyone has a need to feel connected to others. Yeah, I mean, um, I think feeling alone is probably uh, the most dangerous, uh, unhealthy thing um, at work, you know, when you're feeling alone. And also, it's hard to work when you're feeling alone. It is. Yeah. It is. And and this is also something that's really confusing for folks because for a really long time, there was this idea that you need to leave your humanity at home and you mm-hmm. come to work and you're a robot and you should be grateful to have a job. And the world has changed. Yeah. That's no longer true. You're expected to not only bring your whole self to work, which is scary for folks, um, but managers are expected to to tend to the whole self of their employees and they just don't know how to do it. As we're thinking about this in terms of like the tactical how, um, we can look to coach training and the ICF core competencies. And there are uh, a couple of different areas where coach training really supports folks in helping to um, create an environment where people feel connected. Mm -hmm. And those core competencies are cultivating trust and safety, uh, coaching presence, as well as ethics. So those are the coaching standards. And then let's get into the science of it. So, you know, you shared that um, feeling alone is is one of the worst things. From a a clinical perspective, what does loneliness do to folks? Oh, uh, loneliness uh, depresses people. It, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it makes you feel uh, discouraged uh, when you're when you feel very alone. There's a sense of hopelessness that comes with that. Mm-hmm. It does, and and that hopelessness um, impacts our immune system, and it takes a really mm-hmm. negative toll on your health. It makes folks more susceptible to infection, and it also increases mortality. So mm-hmm. if we're looking at this um, in relationship to our workforce. And you're a manager. If you have a team member who's not connected or isolated, that person's going to be more likely to get sick. Yeah, yeah. And and I gotta say, um, it could be a low grade loneliness, uh, like um, dysthymia. You know, it doesn't have to be um, a loneliness that is terrifying. Uh, usually, it's the the drip, uh, you know, that the, the leaky faucet that can drown you. It's, it's not because, because it, we don't notice that. And then it's been years and then we realize, you know, how lonely we, we've really been. So what's scary is when, when people are lonely without even realizing they're lonely. Absolutely. And when we're talking about this in terms of our work lives, we know that one of the, the best things that people can have is a friend at work. Mm-hmm. And without that, you know, I've described it to folks within corporations as, you know, if you don't take the time to care for your people, these are the slow everyday paper cuts that are going to cause folks to bleed out on the floor. Yeah. When I look at some of the jobs that I didn't like um, in my whole career, 
it was the people that got me through, you know, it was the coworkers that I bonded with or that, you know, we shared donuts with, or we just kind of like told jokes. And those are the people that got me through the hard days at work, uh, especially the, the jobs that I took on that I, that I really didn't like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And in, in the jobs that you really didn't like, how did you perceive your managers? Oh, in one job, uh, the, the manager was like Darth Vader. She, um, <laughs> she was, uh, it was, she was terrifying. And uh, every day, we felt that our job was threatened. So we connected, and con- you know, we we consoled each other, and that made us close. But the leader was separate. She was on the top shelf. She was untouchable. And then there, there were us, right? Yeah. And so, it, it, the positive thing about that is that it made us close. Um, obviously, it wasn't a, uh, a healthy environment to work in. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, I got let go. Yeah. So let's. Let, that's a that's a great little case study there. So um, you know, when we move in and we run coach training for managers, these are these are the things that we directly train people on what not to do and what to do. And the interesting thing um, about this work is with this particular topic, the work that you do is actually internal. So you mm-hmm. deal with yourself and you deal with what's going on in your own head. So if you're managing other people and you feel yourself um, holding contempt for someone, or uh, superiority over someone or blaming someone, that is your first indication. And I, and I don't say this lightly. I say this with the full weight of empirical evidence that you're doing it wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and the important thing to understand about this is that these aspects of, of, of negative behavior are, are normal, they're human, and they're cues to us that we need to do some work. Um, what happens when folks engage in these behaviors, contempt, superiority, and blame, the person who exhibits these behaviors causes harm. And then the secondary part of it that is pretty invisible is that um, the part, like the person who issues the behaviors, contempt, superiority, and blame actually hurts themselves because mm. they cut themselves off from their own capacity to connect with the group. And that's exactly right. what you described when you were talking about that boss. Yeah, what's interesting is uh, she also creates her own island. So I'm sure that that she was very lonely running that company. Uh, probably miserable. I mean, there's yeah. there there's no positive outcomes that that roll with contempt, superiority, and blame. Um, and so let's talk about what we can do instead um, from a positive psychology perspective the term is seeking common humanity to see no strangers mm-hmm. and then from a coaching perspective that really involves bias work and self-awareness work to begin to be aware of how others are consuming you to begin to harness your capacity to create space and pause and presence and acknowledge that you might have these unruly feelings and also mm-hmm. acknowledge that they don't really have a place in what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about self-awareness basically <laughs> as yep. a leader, as a manager. Yeah, we are, we are. And, um, and, and that's one of those terms where it's like, 
you know, do you have self-awareness? I don't know. You know, do I? Okay. Well, are you aware of the emotions that come up for you and whether they help you or hurt you throughout mm-hmm. a day? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's basically an emotional audit. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what I did with my little example with the assistant. Uh, instead of uh, picking up the phone, I, 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 I decided to take a beat and um, evaluate uh, what are my feelings and how do I want to respond to this? So I am an empathetic leader and a fair leader and not uh, someone who is, you know, um, like like the the Iron Fist lady that uh, laid me off many years ago. Um, you know, I, I didn't want my uh, assistant to feel that way, unheard, mm-hmm. unsupported and alone. So, yeah, taking a beat and uh, doing a, a self-examination. Yeah, yeah. So. Another area that we can take a look at that I know for a fact is going to have resonance for you is that when we're thinking about what people need foundationally for well-being, um, especially at work, it is having a sense of autonomy. Mm -hmm. And this means that we have a choice rather than feeling um, coerced or controlled. Um, what has your relationship been like with this premise? Autonomy? Mm-hmm. Well, um, when I think about where I came from uh, in, in a lot of the, uh, the, the companies or private companies that, I, that I've worked for as an employee, uh, how that made me feel, uh, what was the outcome of that as in my being productive or what I was creating. And then, you know, compare that to today, including – uh, us working together. I mean, it's it's day and night. I mean, it, it's equivalent to a plant that isn't watered and is wilted. That's like you know <laughs> the beginning of my career, and then a plant that is in a giant pot and watered and tons of sun and it's growing and smiling and thriving. You know, that's awesome. I I, I uh, speaking of plants, when I first met you in that email, <laughs> I I did I said something <laughs> like uh, I felt like a um, a plant growing its pot or outgrowing its pot or something like that, right? Yes, you did. Yeah. That was, that was, you said, you know, help. I'm a plant that's outgrown its pot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and okay. That was, and that was because at that moment, um, that was the, uh, when I was, when I stopped punching clocks and started to work on my own and, uh, you know, drew boundaries and started to work in a way that was honest to me. And then I feel like that's when I, I started to kind of grow and thrive as a human. Yeah. So at an individual level, you know, in our everyday lives, this can look like being able to choose what we eat, what we wear every day. Mm -hmm. And that actually factors into our work lives as well. Um, But more broadly, at the organizational level, this means giving folks the opportunity to be involved in Mm -hmm. decision-making, communication about our work, Uh, communication about things that specifically affect an employee and basic respect. Um, One of the number one things that chips away at trust and respect in relationship to autonomy is blindsiding someone. Mm, Yeah. Well, that, that blindsiding someone is, it can be an act of violence. It can be. It it absolutely can be. And then on the flip side, 
what we know empirically is that when we give folks the ability to co-create or give feedback or participate in something that affects them, the interpersonal engagement is much more effective and also any policies that stem from that engagement are much more effective. So for example, if you give everyone on your team the opportunity to contribute to what they think the dress code should be, mm-hmm. everyone's more likely to adhere to it because they were part of that decision-making. Right. It's collective. So, uh, it is collective, yeah. you know, absolutely. And and something to to think about is that this aspect of giving folks autonomy um, can really be a gift because right now the world is beating us down with a lot of things that are beyond our control, global warming, war, yeah. economic upheaval. And so many people are reeling from a loss of control. And when I think about leadership in our time, to me, one of the most important things that I can do is actually give people their own little piece of real estate Mm -hmm. so that they have ownership of something, that they can take action on something, and they can be empowered in small ways because I know that that will increase their well-being as a human species we are up against a lot right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the best way to support and champion one story is exactly what you're talking about. And this is actually what we're doing with clients as a coach. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, this is part and parcel of coaching is empowering people to take action, empowering people to take ownership, mm-hmm. taking small steps, taking their life back. Um, and that bleeds right into our next foundation of well-being. That's really important for people at work, and that's feeling competent. Mm-hmm. Um, People need to feel a sense yeah. of competency in order to survive psychologically. Sure. Full stop. Yeah. I, I mean, most people, because of our story, struggle with feeling competent already, you know? They do. They do. And, you know, imposter syndrome, social construction, negativity right. bias is, is, all, is all working against us. So when we bring in coach training to help people, to help managers with how to help folks feel competent, it's actually really simple. It's listening actively to people, like really listening, mm-hmm. repeating back to them um, what, you, what they've said to you so that you demonstrate care and understanding and evoking awareness, um, helping people identify what they see, what they feel, what went well, what needs course correction, mm-hmm. and and pushing that back on someone to say, wow, look, you figured that out. Validation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, something that I think is important to kind of outline within within this construct, when you're a manager, you're you're typically evaluating someone for performance. And when people try new things, they're they're not going to be competent at first, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> they're, they're, it's just true, um, and that's normal. But what creates the tipping point between someone developing, learning, and growing, or f- retreating back 
into um, incompetence is the experience that someone has around what it's like to try something new, miss the mark, and mm-hmm. try again until yeah, they get and, it right. And, and what a gift for the leader uh, slash boss slash CEO to give that to their um, employee. Right. And yeah. and this is where um, that command and control leadership gets in the way because I think it's our, our nature to be like, oh, let me just do it or I'll take over or, you know, I'll do this for you um, because you were promoted in the first place because you knew what you were doing. And we, what we're doing when, when we take the time constructively to be like, oh, well, what do you see here? Like, this was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It can be a little bit better. How do you think it could be a little bit better? Um it's not punitive. We're not shutting somebody down. Um, yeah. You know, we're not shredding them and, and we're giving them um, a template from which to grow. And if, if you do this in, in tandem as employee and manager, you'll begin to trust your, ex- your employees capacity and they will grow and learn in the way that you need them to. Yes. And you know, the way that the world is unfolding, I think ultimately um, the people, the bosses or leaders who run their uh, organization with an iron fist and just bark orders, th- they're going to die out because uh, no one's going to want to work for them. You know, there are things like quiet quitting, which is <laughs> which is a topic now where um, people are not negotiating uh, space and freedom and, and all the things that they want uh, as, as far as in their work. There was uh, an NPR report that came out recently that was just scathing. And I read it and I was like, ooh, this author is not throwing or is not pulling any punches. Um, and what was stated is that in the in the new age of a hybrid and distributed workforce, the bad boss is going mm-hmm. to cause your organization to lose the talent wars. Yeah. I agree. It's already yeah. happening. Yeah. It, yeah, it is already yeah. happening. And so from there, you know, what can we do to combat that? In in the NPR report, um, the author stated that uh, they, they were giving a, a case study of, of a friend who experienced a bad boss. And they described um, that bad boss as someone who performed productivity and had a need to really be on top of the hours um, that everyone's slack light was on. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that was a little bit crazy to me. I was like, wow, <laughs> that happens, huh? Well, yeah, I remember. So um, at my worst job, we had to sign out to go to the restroom and then we had to sign back in after mm-hmm. going to the restroom. And I'll never forget that because that's always been the marker for me, which I would, I will never go back to, but yeah, it was that extreme. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, what, what is the, the opposite of that? It's actually not measuring um, productivity uh, according to like time, which when we look, Oh my God, I read, I mean, I read a lot of stuff, but something that I read um, once that really stuck out to me is like, okay, where did the idea of measuring productivity via time come from? It actually came from um, Soviet Russia. 
Mm. Um, and, and the idea of measuring the worker and keeping the worker engaged in work, 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 work right. for right. the benefit of the state. So it, it has some pretty gnarly origins. Um, and then the, the antidote to it is to actually look at not the time that someone's spending working, but what's going well with their work. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad things are changing. Me too. Yeah. And I'm Me glad too. we're having conversations about this. Yeah. And so like, how does this go? Right. So it's, it's pretty straightforward and yet it's not natural for folks to do because negativity bias mm-hmm. keeps us in a position where we're always scanning for threat. And so to change your brain around to actually scan for what's positive is a shift. Yeah. Yeah. It takes work. It takes it's a practice. It's a rewiring. It does. And it has uh, some pretty cool outcomes. And this comes from the work of Barbara Fredrickson, who I love, who mm-hmm. is a positive psychology researcher. But when you take the time to put your focus on positive facts or traits, what it does is it actually increases your capacity for perception using your mm-hmm. senses. So you're, you're, you are able to use your brain and your body in an enhanced function when you're in a positive state. And when you're in a negative state, you basically shut yourself down and you're only able to hold one view. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it's, well, I mean, you've experienced this shift in your own life over the decade that I've known you. What is your own relationship like with like noticing things now? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, um, when, when I used to be miserable and unhappy, um, I would only notice and put weight on the dread, the dwelling, the things I have to do, you know, where I'm not, what I don't have. Um, and, and of course, you know, 10 years later, and I, I still have to work at it, but, uh, I noticed trees. I notice moments. Uh, I'm a lot more out of my head and in 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 my body, and uh, yeah, a lot of that is is through the practice of um, re- refusing to uh, focus on the negative and then leaning more into positives. Yeah, yeah. So we have one final foundation of well being, and it's it's another one that's pretty amorphous. Um, and that is being able to attach to a sense of meaning. Mm. We know that human beings as a species, when we are able to attach to a sense of meaning, we do better, we flourish, we care right. more, we show up harder. And for many folks at work, um, meaning is one of the things that staves off burnout. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, meaning is it's it's also bigger than you usually when when you attach meaning what it means to you. Yeah, and yeah. this is all over the literature right now. MIT Sloan, the World Economic Forum, McKinsey, Gartner, um, everyone is publishing research on this right now because it doesn't come naturally to folks who are managers or to folks who have been in command and control systems their whole lives to pick their heads up and say, oh my God, I'm in charge of all these people. And it's also my job to help them attach to meaning in life. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a tall order. It it's is. A tall... It is. But I think also um, it, it also puts the leader in the position to be uh, such an amazing catalyst, a bright spot in one person's life, not only for their job, but just on their whole trajectory, like in their stories or just their life in general. Absolutely. And the, the tactical how is so easy. It's, right. it's really basically sitting with your team and saying, hey, gang, this is what our organization is doing in the world. This is what you are a part of. This is the, mm -hmm. the visibility that, that our organization has. This is what you can brag about to your friends and family. Um, this is all the cool stuff that, that you support and then bring it right down to their specific roles. And the thing that you do supports our vision in this way. Mm -hmm. And having those conversations is not a one-time deal. It is something that needs to be repeated and reinforced consistently over time so that folks really get that, man, I'm a part of something. And the small things that I do every day really, truly matter. Well, thank you for having a firm but soft psychological foundation of well-being. <laughs> You're welcome. And I have to say, I, you know, I didn't get an MBA. I never set out to be a manager. I never set out to be a CEO. I did set out to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And so I learned how to do all of this stuff before I was ever in charge of anyone. And that's what helped me to develop right. this lens. Right. Thank you for the conversation and thank you for the leadership. And uh, we will continue this conversation as it continues to unfold in our world and in coaching. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Have a good one. You too. Be well. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it. <laughs>